Radio, where gamers roll. Well, well, what have we here? Welcome to the wonders of Thedas. Welcome to the Wonders of Fetus podcast, your one-stop shop for all your Dragon Age role-playing game needs. My name is Ren. And I'm Jessica. And with us today we have two people. Uh, the one on the left go first. Ladies. They don't know which one is. Ladies first. <laughs> your left or my left? Or <laughs> <laughs> the left they going to know? Well, we've got a left over here. What's your left over there? <laughs> Leona, who are you? I'm Leona. <laughs> Andy, who are you? Lo and behold, I'm Andy. Fantastic. Excellent. This all went right. really well. We're all headsy. Despite it all, it's still all of us. Yep. Well, welcome back to The Wonders of Fetus, episode 68. Uh, this one was going to be a specialty episode, and the the voting made it very clear what folks wanted to talk about, and I'm I'm kind of glad they did, because it's, it's a good topic. Mm-hmm. <coughs> one that we've covered in more than one form, uh, in bits and pieces as we've been going along, but we're going to be talking about long-term campaign design. Yeah. Which is, you know, that's a lot of, that's a lot of, uh, big words, but we'll be, we'll be making it simple for you here soon. It's a, it's something that, when done right, can create an experience that everyone will remember for decades. Like, and they'll keep coming back for <laughs> Heck oh, yeah. they will. We've mm-hmm. we've we've certainly learned that. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ren here is an excellent, excellent purveyor of long-term campaigns that get people real excited and fired up. And we we still fall into the character voices sometimes of the characters that we made for one of Ren's campaigns. While getting in line at McDonald's. Hey, you know what? You know what? True story. You weren't there. I wasn't there. You weren't there. You don't know. <laughs> but I heard about it. You plenty. don't know anything Once about Once you guys got back. <laughs> I have heard this story, yes. Yep. <laughs> I enjoy the story. Can't get away Can't get away with anything. Mm-mm. But uh, it anyway. can, it's such a, like, long-term campaigns are really mm-hmm. just an exceptional thing. They can be so daunting. So hopefully we can help y'all figure that out. Gotcha. Um, so, uh, before we go too far in, uh, I'd like to say hi to both of you. It's been a little while. Uh, Andy, how was your holidays? Um, not, not too bad. Um, I, uh, I have to apologize for not being here last time. Uh, the internet decided to rebel at the very last Mm. minute, like two hours before we were, uh, were supposed to record, and Uh. I ended up, uh having some choice words with with our ISP. Fair enough. Uh, things have since gotten sorted. Um, my okay. parents came out, which was about as good as one might expect, and two <laughs> migraines later, they left. Oh. <laughs> but there yeah, you it's go. not as bad as I'm putting it up to be. Uh, things went <laughs> really well. We actually had, had our New Year's party not too long ago, and... Uh, our good friend Ben dis- uh, stopped by, uh, better known as Drunkle Grog. Yeah! Oh, yay! Drunkle Grog! So Woo! He got to see our actual abode. We, act- we we did our gaming over at Wittenberg uh, since, I get- since we get the space free. So this is the first time he actually got to see our house and our mighty game table nice. and all the like. He was very oh, honored to go to your house and have- to your party. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm not sure why, but... I'm Mighty sure. Game Table, trademark, <laughs> copyright, do not yeah. steal. I'm very proud of our game table. I got it off nice. the Craigslist, of all things. Uh, but Ooh. it's a huge right. oak table with a stone inlay. It's, it's pretty cool. Nice. We, that sounds fancy. awesome. We easily sit 8 to 10. <clears throat> nice. Wow. I'm jealous. Our house is not quite that big. <laughs> we can't I mean, even fit 8 to 10 people in our house. That like, sounds like my house. <laughs> Ours is more of a condo. We have uh, a living room. It's we have two floors. We're doing better than a lot of people we, we know are. as far as space. It's true. True <coughs> story. Making it happen one way or another. But, uh, Leona, how was your holiday? Did you have anything cool happen? Um, I had one thing happen that was kind of weird. My sister, oh. my sister on Christmas Eve had to go and have an emergency appendectomy. Oh. Oh. oh my god. Oh, no, 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 no. This story is much, much better than that. Okay. Okay. No, no. She was great. It was. It, she got in. They they took it out. She went home the same day. She was home at the by like nine thirty on Christmas Eve. Wow. It was great. However, th- the best part of this story actually takes place twenty one years ago, nineteen ninety seven, Christmas Eve. I had an emergency appendectomy. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Not even joking. Nothing like Not consistency. So proud. We told proud our family tradition. Yeah, we told our brother he cannot do this to us. In 21 years, he cannot have an appendectomy on Christmas Eve. It cannot happen. Wow. So, yeah, right. 20, 20 years, it's okay. 22 years, it's 21. You better not. <laughs> so, no more Christmas Eve appendectomies for our family, please, and thank you. Jeez. <laughs> oh, uh, pretty lucky yeah, on the surgery there. My, when my wife had yeah. her appendix out, it was an eight-day hospital stay because... Um, it, it had ruptured and leaked some stuff into her into her abdominal oh. cavity, and there was a hole to do. It was a mess. Yeah, oh. I guess um, hers wasn't that bad. Mine was almost bursting, they said. Mm-hmm. Um, but having it on Christmas Eve is actually great because they don't schedule elective surgeries on Christmas Eve. So you just have to deal with your spot in the emergency <laughs> line. So, yeah. I mean, she got into surgery. She got to the, within, like, six hours of actually going to the doctor in the first place. So. All right. Well, see, that's pretty good. But everything went well. She's home. She wanted to be home because it's first Christmas with her new baby. Oh. Yeah. Man. And so she got home, and everything was great, and had a great Christmas, and everybody got what they wanted, and I'm taking my kids to see The Lion King on Broadway as their big present, so. That's a nice, nice present so right cool. there. Yeah. yeah, right? So, Yeah. I will be broke. <laughs> yeah. Fair speaking, enough. Speaking of being broke, uh, I was definitely incapacitated for the last episode, and I apologize for my absence. I have never been that sick in my entire life. It was rough. It was so bad. But I'm back now, and if you hear any coughs, uh, they're me. I'm sorry, everybody. Pneumonia takes a while to get over. If it gets real bad, I might, uh, I might step out and leave these three, leave you in these three's very capable hands. But uh, hopefully won't come to that. We do good work. We'll do you proud. How was your holiday? Did anything, anything fun? Anything exciting except for being sick? Uh, a lot of uh, family. Yeah, a lot of family. We had uh, all three <laughs> sets of our parents we had to go visit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was all good times. We all had good times. Yeah. Got Nothing really visit. special. I mean, we hung out with some friends and some mm-hmm. family. 
Oh, we did have to show the house because we're trying to buy the house yes. that we're in. And the appraiser came, and I was still sick and recovering, and Ren's I back had, had gone out. Just thrown my back out. So I had to try to clean the house by myself while recovering from pneumonia in 24 hours, and it was... <laughs> wow, that's that's a feat. And I was lying on the floor. Yeah, it was a bad scene. <laughs> You're so, doing uh, that great, was... Jess. Merry Christmas. Oh. But yeah, things are better now. I'm about to start better my next now, semester so of grad school. Yay. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad everybody had a good break. Hope all you listeners had an excellent uh, time off with whatever time off you did get as well. Whatever you did with the time off or whatever you are still doing with the time off, we hope it's uh, we hope it is enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Hopefully some of it is uh, tabletops. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got to do a little bit of that, too. So. I did get to do a little bit of that. It was a good time. So, why don't we go ahead and kick things off by consulting the Codex. You can ask me questions if you like. I'm not sure why you'd want to, but... Oh, good. Thank you. I'm going to regret this, aren't I? Welcome to the Codex. Uh, speaking of uh, Drunkle Grog, <laughs> our first question happens to come from Drunkle Grog. Sent me this question not too long ago, uh, just in time. Uh, it's a nice, simple one, but I think it's a really good one, and might actually warrant an episode later down the line. But, uh, Drunkle Grog's question through our Facebook page was, what advice do you have about running the age system for different age ranges? That's, uh... And I think... That's a big kettle of fish right there. It is. It is. So, we'll keep it to kind of a snapshot answer. This might be something to come back to, like, for a full episode. Mm -hmm. I think one of the biggest things you can do is, especially in terms of age, is to prepackage some of the stunts. And I agree. That way you can give some niche support to each of the, you know, your warrior, your mage, your uh, your rogue class, and everybody's able to do something simple and different that is going to be very easy to latch onto and easy to understand because. Mm-hmm. All the analysis paralysis issues that the stunt system and age can cause are only going to be exacerbated when you have kids who are 10 and don't have the, the reading comprehension ability or the reading speed of an adult. So That's fair. I think specifically for age, that can go a long way. I absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. I think the stunts would definitely be a big stumbling block for a lot of young folks when uh, when they roll five stunt points and, like, and then you give them this huge list. Mm-hmm. Of 30 plus stunts and it's like, you've got five points to spend, what do you want to do? Yeah. <laughs> there it is. And having, having a couple that are standardized stunts, like extra damage or an extra attack, that's not too bad. But if you things like disarming or knocking down or trip or maybe you have a skirmish expert who's good at moving around, that that's, that's that fighter's support and how that fighter differs from your big two-weapon tank. Mm-hmm. Two-handed weapon tank. So. Fair enough. I think that's fair. Um, I think the rest of the game actually works fairly well, let's say for uh, for uh, for most age ranges. Um, I could definitely see uh, for maybe particularly young uh, kids that the having that adding the three dice all at once uh, could be it could at least slow things down a little bit. Could still be fun, and, I mean, 
It's only going to help them get get a little faster at it. Mm-hmm. I think we all have cats coming into the back yeah, of, uh, my, of our audio. Yeah, my two are, are arguing here, so I had to rescue so one of them. Mine has run off somewhere. He will probably join us again and be sitting on the back of my chair eventually. <laughs> Fair enough. We'll never know, because he's, he's he's a dark cat. And he you're is. in a dark room. I am. And you have a dark chair. I do. <laughs> You'll just have a taller chair. <laughs> You'll see his eyes, that's about it. We have BB right here. Another one of our intrepid animal companions. Yep. Oop. Who's going to get herself tangled in these wires? Oop. And then shake me again. And then, oh, and then in my flesh. Okay. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> Professionalism. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be a podcast. We're talking cat about. Uh, <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. That is true. That certainly wouldn't you know, be one of ours without a cat break. It's one of the parts of being a podcaster is cats. <laughs> The cat having. As long as she doesn't uh, wrench the cables again. So, shall we continue? I think we shall. Drunko Grog, I uh, hope that helps. We might come back to that later. Thank you for the uh, thank you for the inspiration. Yeah, I would love to talk a bit more about that. I think uh, you You've know, got child, some... I've got experience with child development. Mm-hmm. Like I was a teacher for a while, and I as a you know, early childhood educator for a while. Mm-hmm. I've worked with most age groups, so I could probably come up with some good things to say about that. Same, I was, uh, I taught English middle school, high school <laughs> for nine years, so. Oh, yeah, it's rough. Mm-hmm. But, for that matter, uh, for that matter, teaching systems could, uh, uh, not just necessarily for kids, that's a skill all its own. Yes, Fair it enough. is. Very true. It is a pretty easy system to pick up. Uh, I would not... I would probably recommend, especially for younger folks, maybe holding off on the stunt system for a little while. Or reducing the number of stunts. Or at least, yeah, making it a small number. Depends on the age. I think once you get to, like, you know, 12 or 13, you're probably Mm. good to go. Probably. All right. Thanks again, Drunkle Grog. Ben, we'll be talking to you again soon. Uh, Next couple of questions, uh, because we're doing a little bit of catch-up. Uh, you come from Parsival on the Green Running Forums. Hi, Parsival. How's it going? Hey there. Hello. Happy holidays. Glad to hear from you. And uh, we're going to first catch up with one that we missed uh, for the last episode. Uh, and maybe a couple episodes before that, even though I'm pretty... I, I could have sworn we talked about like See, this. See, I think what but. happened here is... I don't know that we talked about it on the podcast, but you and I talked about it quite a bit. You're probably right. And I think that's probably where you remember <laughs> it from. I just think it really hard. Yes, we thought very hard about it. <laughs> so, first question from Parsival is... Uh, the key is, uh, Percival noticed that we were uh, mostly in agreement about how the master degree of the keeper specialization was not so great. Yeah, it was. It was not. It's not ideal. Poopy, I believe, is uh, the technical term. That yes. is the technical term. You are correct. Well, mm-hmm. lackluster sounds a bit better than that, though. Yes, lackluster. Well, I mean, for uh, your tenth level cap on your specialization, it seemed to be needing a little more oomph. Uh, so, Parsifal's question was, how does the following sound as an alternative house rule? Uh, for the Keeper Specialization, the Master Degree, you can tap into the natural cycle of death and rebirth. If you inflict any damage with a Wrath of the Elven spell, you regain health equal to half your magic ability rounded down. 
Also, if an enemy dies within the range of an active Wrath of the Elven spell, you get back 1d6 health if you are wounded. In each case, if you are at full health, you gain no benefit. I think that helps. It helps. Yeah. It, at least, it's, it's helpful. Uh, I think to really boost this, mm-hmm. there needs to be... Like, you'd increase the damage, the general amount of damage being done by Wrath of the Elven because mm-hmm. of its short radius. I think that's fair. And that the, or, and or, either one, depending mm-hmm. on how much you want to power it up, make it so that even if they fail, they still take half, like, or if they mm-hmm. succeed, they still take half damage. Yeah, that was Because the sa- point. the fact that it's a saver suck really takes a lot of the usefulness out of it. I, I would probably go so far as to do both of those, uh, to give it a boost. Yeah. Um... Which is what we did. Mechanically, it mm-hmm. seems reasonable to me. I might, uh, I might. This is the editor brain in me taking over. I might tweak some of the wording because the way it sounds there, it's uh, if you're if an enemy dies within the range of any Wrath of the Elven spell. So if you're fighting a guy uh, who has Wrath of uh, the Elven up and you have Wrath of the <laughs> Elven enough. up, you know you'd be effectively double dipping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just change range of an active Wrath of yeah. the Elven to a range of your active Wrath of the Elven. Just a just a couple yeah, wording probably. tweaks there, but overall, I mean, that sort of regeneration makes total sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a good first step. I feel like it more matches the flavor that is intended for that master degree as well. And it kind of does what the video game specifically did. Yeah, yeah, we like it. Yeah, being true to the source material, way to be. Uh, so I guess, uh, how do we think it sounds, Parsifal, is, uh, keep up the good work. Yeah, we think it sounds pretty neat. Yes. Uh, the next question that Parsifal brought to our attention was, uh, my future question, for a future podcast, concerns your own campaign, Brasilia, in particular. Oh, jeez. How much did you insert individual Dalish elves from the computer games into your campaign? Dalish like Linnea, Mithra, or Athras? Uh, we had a few individual daily, but not really that many. We kept it, uh, I think I tried to introduce as many new characters as I could, but still include some callbacks. Yeah. Uh, I very fondly recall one of the Dalish keepers that we had who was very excited about Hugh and Finery. Just wore a whole, so, yeah, you know, oh, I rem- scandalized oh, everybody at the Arlathan because they came in or Legion Finery. Oh, man. Oh, Ouch. Yeah, that got awkward. <laughs> Although it did take some of the heat off of me for bringing a human boy. So, Which is worse, right. human boys or human fashion? <laughs> well, by the end of it, everybody loved the boys, so it was okay. He was kind of mixing it enough with of a Dalish style that they didn't throw him out immediately. And because he was a keeper, he they I mean they, they had to keep him around. <laughs> yeah, he can't, literally they can't, just can't him throw him away. out. So he was just an eccentric. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he took some of the heat off of me, so I didn't mind. Yes. Um, but I believe we did include... I think we included Marathari. Yes, we did, briefly. Yeah, briefly. I don't think she featured very heavily, but I think I believe she was there. Yeah, I think she was at the... Uh, what's it called? The Arlathvin. The Arlathvin. And was reasonable and on our side, which was a nice, mm-hmm. nice thing to have, because... I think they mentioned Zathrian a couple of times... Yeah. We, we mentioned him, we didn't actually speak Right. Him. More as in an, oh, what an awful way to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, jeez. Well. Oh, Zathrian. 
I'm gonna lore confession here. I don't recognize any of the three names that, that he's oh. dropping. Oh, oh no! Oh, okay. But oh. Let, okay. let me tell. Okay. So, <laughs> Please do. Marathari is. No, um, I, I got Marathari. That's that's okay. Merrill's. I meant Lanaya, Mithra, Athras. I think those are all from the Sabrea clan. Yeah. I believe. I think they show up in Origins. Okay. I don't remember if they show up in two. I, I don't I having just played through two not too recently, I don't recall seeing them there, and it's been okay. ages since I played Origins. Um mm -hmm. mainly because there are large sections of that game I just don't want to do again. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I think at least one of these folks was the one who was being courted by that poor boy who wanted you to bring him some wolf pelts. Oh, yeah. So that he could, uh, uh, propose to the, uh, to a potential mate. I remember that kid. Mm-hmm. From the, uh, from the video game, yeah. Yep. When you go to the Dalish camp. Yeah. I, I remember the quest, but the name just right out of my head. Yeah. Right. Okay, um, so... Lanaya is the um, is Zathrian's first. Oh, okay. that's right. Um, Athras was what the heck was her name? Denalia the um, Denalia I think was her name was the one um, that was that became a werewolf and you have to go and find her and yes. she dies yep. and you have to. Um, you know, are you going to kill her or not? Mm -hmm. And Mithra is one, is also in, all three were in Zathrian's clan. Yeah, she was a origins. She was a hunter. I'm, I think that's right. Yeah, she was one of the hunters. She's the one, oh, she was the hunter that first greeted you when you came into the, the camp. Okay. Oh, that doofy elf who pulled a bow on me. Mm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right, that one. It was her. There you go. I did think that was her. <laughs> that's, that's it. So, yeah. That's who Okay. So, uh, to answer the question, uh, I tried to keep it a mix. Um, I didn't think a lot of, like, names like Lanaya, Mithra, or Athras were quite big enough, necessarily, that the players would recognize them. Uh, that being said, one of the love interests um, was an NPC from the Alienage. Um, and uh, I happens to find him. I liked the name. I liked his face. So I added a little extra story to him that he left the Alienage because he met a member of the Emerald Brotherhood uh, and decided to become a Dalish a little late in life. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, that one was mine. He ran off to the Dalish. It works sometimes. <laughs> Every now and then it works out. <laughs> sort of worked and out then... for Paul. Then you marry a really powerful mage and <laughs> you know. have some really, mm -hmm. really addicted Tolarian babies. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, you know, whatever. Inquisition is going to be It's probably fine. It's probably fine. <laughs> Thank you for the questions, Parsifal, as always. Uh, if you out there have a question about the Dragon Age RPG, whether it's mechanics, build suggestions, questions about lore, clarifications about old episodes, or anything else, send a message to Podcast at gmail.com, send it to us through our Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, Plus, or SoundCloud accounts, or send a personal message to Caught the Protector or Helipuff on the Green Running forums, or send a message to Caught Release on the D20 Radio forums. That's, That's us. That's us. All right. Uh, why don't we scoot on into our next segment because we got some really cool stuff to talk about. Uh, one that is made by someone who is on this show with us, uh, and one that I discovered at a holiday party recently. Mm. Uh, come with us to the Distant Verses.
Do you ever wonder what lies at the edges of the map, past the seas? No. I think we have enough to worry about on this continent. <laughs> of course, but... <sighs> Welcome to the Distant Verses. So, um, why don't we go ahead and actually, uh, it's not in order, but why don't we go ahead and start, uh, since we featured this adventure on Welcome Guests last time, uh, but the writer of the adventure was not able to join us due to, uh, technical issues, uh, we've got the writer with us now, uh, special guest Andy Klosky from Blackfall Press, you might have heard of him. Uh, why don't you tell us about your adventure on Welcome Guests? So, um... The challenge was issued to try to put something out in time for in time for D four day, so mm -hmm. I went ahead and started started writing, and I had two kind of things in mind uh, as I was getting started with that. One, how little the traps were being used uh, within within the context Ooh. of our game, and how I could maybe bring those to the fore, as well as we had. <laughs> Uh, just started watching on Netflix the the haunting of Hill House. Ooh. So heard that got a little good. got a little inspired there, uh, especially in conjunction with the Chateau d'Antaire uh, quest in Inquisition, and some of the other haunted house and and fade er uh, areas in in the various games. So decided to sit down and uh, try my hand at a at a full on haunted house type scenario. All right, <coughs> it Fun got stuff. real dark real quick. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's what it sounded like from reading the uh, the adventure synopsis. Yeah, the um, fully full admission. If uh, make sure to check with your with your players before you before you bring that one to the table. It's uh, it has some. Uh, it has some content that that some people may be sensitive to, but if you're if you're in the mood for a real creepy adventure with a lot of neat uh, lore hints built into it, uh, I think mm. I think I won't disappoint you there. All I right. was particularly I haven't gotten to read all the way through it, but uh, there's some creepy stuff. I was particularly proud of the um, creepy elements table that that I was able to put oh, in. Oh yeah, where. You can roll randomly to see what happens within the within the hunting lodge where all this takes place. All right, I'm down. I'm always down for tables to see what happens <laughs> next. All right. Well, thank you, Andy. Uh, uh, hopefully, some folks get to have some spooky adventures mm -hmm. soon. Um, the next thing that I wanted to bring to folks' attention, and I'm kind of surprised I haven't started doing this all yet, is uh, some art. There's a lot of artists out there who love to do Dragon Age art. Um, some folks are, are, and a lot of it you can bring to a role-playing game table because, you know, who doesn't want character art? Um, this one caught my eye, though. Uh, I have a couple of friends uh, that I meet at my, uh, that I met at my holiday party where my high school friends met. And um, some of those friends are currently playing in a Dragon Age tabletop game. Um, and they showed me that uh, one of their artist friends who was in the game with them uh, made a char made character tokens uh, for their character. Uh, which I believe you folks can see pictured uh, pictured here. He has a brass nose. Yeah, that that uh, looks like it hurt. He, 
he, yeah. he, he might have lost that nose at some point, uh, so he's got himself a nice, repl- a nice shiny replacement. Well, I assume he lost it at some point. <laughs> but, um... So, for folks who would like to have tokens for your battle maps, uh, and want them to be particularly Dragon Age, or, and, you know, want a corresponding token when your character is wounded, um, look no further than the art of Catbat. Uh... This, uh, let's see, this talented artist has already got an impressive portfolio, uh, but this most recent thing that she did near the end of the year, uh, for her Dragon Age game, uh, uh, was shown to me and it caught my eye, uh, because you can, I mean, you can get a quick bust of your character, uh, that looks like one of the icons that you might see, uh, in the top left of your Inquisition UI, um, and you can swap it out for an injured one, should you fall below half health or something, which is... You know, very Dragon Age. Mm-hmm. Bit of persistent gore <laughs> on the table there with you. So yeah, uh, sh- we'll be including a link to her Patreon and her Twitter uh, in the blog post for the show, and we'll include this particular example, uh, which, goodness, I do not remember the na- character's name, but uh, very a very roguish type, if I recall correctly. Yeah. Cut those out and put those on. Uh, put one on each side of a, of a mini base, and who needs miniatures? Hey, there we go. Ooh, I like that. I hadn't thought of that. And here I was just thinking of taking little pieces of paper and swapping them around. Andy's got the hookup. Yeah, you can get a you can get a pack of cheap minis bases at your happy little friendly local game store for dirt dirt cheap. Fair enough. Well, uh, I believe she is. Uh, I believe our Patreon viewer uh, listeners will be able to catch this in time. I don't know about the folks who are not Patreon viewer listeners, but uh, for this month at least, she's still taking commissions up until the tenth. So it's one of those benefits of being a Patreon user. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Get so, this info in time. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And of course, if you become a patron of hers, then she will do commissions, and, and she can do commissions for you uh, on let's say on a monthly basis. Uh, one of which could, you know, maybe be some Dragon Age art. Yeah. Or you can just commission her on a... I I believe you can still commission her on a case-by-case basis, but patrons get a bit of priority. So, you can, of course, find all these submissions and more archived in our resources for your game page on our blog, com. If you'd like to share your custom Dragon Age RPG content, send a message to podcast at gmail.com. Send it to us through our Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, or SoundCloud accounts. Send a personal message to Kata Protector or Healerpuff on the Green Running forums, or a message to Kata Release on the D20 radio forums. Still us. All right. Uh, we've been playing a very long game to get to this to this topic. Well, you know, I was a little bit worried about uh, coming up with a pun for this section, uh-huh. and then I wasn't anymore. Do you know why? Yes. Because I realized that any pun I made about this uh, these long term adventure stories was going to have to be epic. <laughs> this is our main topic for today. Is it fate or chance? Somehow we're still married. We are. You're very C minus. You've done better. <laughs> hey, it's the best I got right now. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was pretty good too. I'll chalk it up to you being. You're off an English your game teacher. The... You have to appreciate it. Yeah, I'll chalk it up to you being off your game for the for the illness. 
That's true. I have been doing a whole lot of coughing. And not a whole lot of thinking. But hey, I thought that, uh... You know what? I thought it, I thought it took us on an odyssey. That it was, uh... That was pretty good. That last uh, one wasn't, but I, I, I'll take... I'll keep that epic one. Uh, Keeping that. Alright. Well... Uh, this is not the first time we've covered this particular topic, uh, by which I mean, of course, long-term campaign design. Uh, it's not going to be the last, because, honestly, no one could ever really say enough on this topic. Because it's, it's an art form in itself, and there's layers, uh, that you can unpack for specific gaming groups, uh, for specific styles of play, uh, for specific games. But, by the maker, we are gonna try. So here we go. We're going to be discussing techniques for designing the dream of every RPG player, the long-term campaign. It takes years to finish. Potentially involves character death. The heroes change the world. The heroes have loved, lost, and laughed. The players talk about these games for years after they're done. This is something the GM can hang their hat on. It's what everyone dreams about. Mm-hmm. And when you're in one, they're unforgettable. A lot of us are lucky enough that we have got... <laughs> there goes a cat. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> cat life. I think uh, we've been lucky enough to be in at least one. Maybe well, two. If you if you count the two parts of that one, then three. Or if you count the fact that... Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, because you did, you did Guns of Freedom parts one and two. Yeah, that's a fair point. I forgot. I forgot about the Star Wars game. Yeah. That was a way. That's in the Wayback Machine. <laughs> you did the Dragon Age one. Mm-hmm. And you did, of course, Kingdom of Darkness. That was like, a lot of fun. You have you have a lot of these under your belt. We have a lot of fun. <laughs> Hopefully, you know, another one coming up soon. Mm-hmm. Maybe everybody should be thinking about that. <laughs> listen, to, listen for I mean, about that. Maybe we'll record it and share maybe it for recorded or something. Who can can even say what happens in the future? Uh, Anyway, I'm sure you both have had uh, your fair share of uh, excellent campaigns. Been around the block a couple times. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Not so much for me, um, because I'm still sort of new at all of this, and the last time I was in a long-term campaign, it kind of imploded. wasn't anything Mm. regular, and then... You know, it stopped for six months and then started again, and then the group imploded. So that does happen, and yeah, yeah I, one of the one of the things we'll talk about later is logistics. Sorry, cat jumped up. <laughs> We're just full of cats, cats. this time around. We, we should also be like a cat fancy podcast, just so we can justify all of these cat interruptions. Mm-hmm. Sorry about that. But yeah, um, um, no, no, something fault. something surpounds a lot. <laughs> There you go. There we go. King Kalen likes to jump up on here. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But right now I'm in one that's been going since August. So what's that, about four months at this point? And we're only just starting. I mean... Gotcha. We're getting... We're, we're, we haven't even, we're doing Inquisition and we haven't even hit the Battle of Haven yet, which actually Ooh. is going to happen, I believe... Not this week yet. Not this week, but next week. All right. Uh, I just actually, right before the holidays, uh, ended our ongoing Dragon Age campaign over at Wittenberg. Um, We managed. We managed to save the world. That's that's always a plus. But fantastic. um, 
I tend to, and this is just a, a function of where I do most of my gaming, I tend to run campaigns at this point in terms of academic semesters. So if if, uh -huh. then, if we meet weekly, we'll get we'll, it'll be a fifteen session <laughs> uh, semester, or if we if we go for the full academic year, we'll go thirty sessions. Um, I have, however, with my with my home group, which is now a little defunct, we've had campaigns of one and a half, two years in various systems. We we did some Deadlands and some Hell on Earth that were both pretty lengthy, uh, as well as some fourth edition D and D. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Good stuff. Good stuff. Good times. So, uh, we highly recommend folks checking out Chapter 10 of the Dragon Age Core Book, as it's going to contain many additional nuggets of wisdom uh, to accompany the nuggets of wisdom that we'll be uh, bestowing here. So, I feel like uh, one of those 10 pack for a dollar chicken nuggets at Burger King. <laughs> I, I guess. Except they're wisdom nuggets, they're not chicken. <laughs> Uh, kind of right. hungry. <laughs> gotcha. Well, <laughs> fair enough. Uh, we'll try to keep this podcast from being too long-term. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, what do we mean when we say long-term? Um, how long is long-term? Uh, this time frame can be anywhere from, like, do you folks want to play for six months? Do you want this to go for a year? Do you want this to go until finished? Um, it's usually what we go for. I think Do you have a specific what, number of... I think until finished is what we're going for right now in my game. Fair enough. That can be that yeah, can be difficult, uh, especially in terms of um, establishing an overarching plot line. Like, if you're trying to sit down and create a, create a story that the players are going to move through, in some sense, it's mm -hmm. good to have some exit points. Uh, I think in yes. terms of okay, we've we've beaten this bad. Maybe uh, after nine months of gaming, you know, we've we've met every week. Real life is getting in the way. Here's a natural off ramp. So, building okay. those. In, I think that's yeah, fair. Building those into your into your campaign outline, I think, can be can be useful. Yes. Uh, because before you begin long-term campaigns, you should be asking yourself and all the players and the GM even, can you commit to this? Because this is, it's a lot of work. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of fun, uh, but it is a, a lot of work on the part of the GM. Uh, it can be a lot, a lot of work on the part of the players if the players are active members of crafting the campaign uh, or a lot of the bookkeeping. Um, but... You should at least, to a degree, make sure that everybody can comfortably carve out some time for this. Because uh, real life is strange, and it, can, it has funny ways of getting in the way with uh, illness, or unexpected mm. uh, know, accidents, or job offers, or uh, turns of fortune, <coughs> or uh, illness, <laughs> we said illness. Um, I'm sorry. So... Uh, you know, and having some contingency plans in case you, uh, you know, folks, you do get into it, and something like that should come up. How is the campaign going to keep going uh, through something like that, or will it? Will we have to end it uh, sooner? So, these are all definitely things to talk about during a session zero. Oh yes. Uh, this is likely the scariest question for any GM or player to have to ask themselves. Um, so. 
try and get everyone's uh, probably okay. <coughs> um, as for designing, it's uh, so uh, part of part of the design can be uh, starting with a framework. Um, make some decisions very early in the campaign so you and your players know what to expect. This will give you something to build off of, uh, and you can save you some headaches down the road. Decide on things like how many players are you comfortable having at your having at your campaign and having at your table. Uh, what theme, genre, or tone of the game are we having? Uh, are you using established canon or your own alternate timeline? And how faithful do you intend to be to the canon of Dragon Age? Um, as for uh, the exact frameworks, you can do uh, things like we're just going to be mercenaries, uh, or we're going to be taking part in Orlesian politics, or maybe Tevinter politics, where it's just like Orlesian politics, but everyone has magic. Uh, you can be Waking Sea Pirates, and you've got a ship to crew. Uh, you can be part of the Grey Wardens, and you're hunting Darkspawn. Uh, maybe you're trying to carve out your own free march or city-state, or start your own elven nation. Yeah, you know, heard that works out well for some people. Yeah, having a hook to start to start your campaign <laughs> on is always a good idea, you know. Um, yes. We are agents of the Inquisition looking into things That's, in the okay. Enderfells, you know. Mm-hmm. That's a juicy one. It's, uh, you know, it's something simple, that that quick, that your players can then latch onto and start building a background around, but it also gives you, as a GM, a fundamental concept from which you can build a framework on. Yes. Uh, there are a few examples in the core rulebook that you can use for inspiration from pages 236 to 245. Uh, if you ever feel unsure about whether something fits in your campaign, take a look at your framework. Ask yourself if it fits. Um, if we're if we're looking before you go outside, take something off your outfit. <laughs> That's true. If we're looking to, to other systems, uh, Pinnacle Entertainment with Savage Worlds actually has a really nice uh, write up on their website of how to structure what they call a plot point campaign. Uh, a plot point campaign within the Savage Worlds rule set centers around usually around ten to fifteen major plot events that will happen sequentially at different points during the campaign, and then a number of side adventures, what they call savage tales, that work within that same area, that work within that same genre, but aren't necessarily affiliated with with the main plot points. Um, sometimes they will advance it, sometimes it'll be additional information or resources gained uh, through those, but if you're interested in that sort of framework, uh, definitely take a look at Pinnacle's website, and I believe it's literally called How to Write a Plot Point Campaign. All right. It sounds pretty good to me. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Um, next is uh, something that I am going to be doing uh, very soon for this campaign that we're making, mm-hmm. uh, is get goals and use them. Oh, yes. We've discussed the power and the usefulness of goals before, if you want to go back to episode 9 and check it out. Uh, Goals are what your characters want and what your players want, and you cannot get more useful than that. Yeah. If you want to know what your players want to get out of something... They're telling you. They're literally telling you with goals. Mm -hmm. Get it. Put it in the Get it. Rub it on your face. (laughs) Yeah. While goals may be initially written with the PC's desires in mind, don't forget you can write down goals that the players have for their characters as well. You getting on me about wisdom nuggets and talking about rubbing goals on your face. (laughs) 
We mean, are a pair, don't you start with me. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, use those goals to create meaningful decisions to help weave the heroes into the plot uh, to get them invested. Uh, you can use them to gain hints. At, you can use them to gain hints at the kinds of stories that your heroes would fit into and what the players want. Mm-hmm. I mean, and see, they're giving you a wish list, so you've got a checklist that you can go through. You can start making stuff. Uh, you can start making stuff really far out. Uh, players, this can be as simple as answering the question: Where do you see yourself in one year, uh, and in ten years, and expanding from there? Uh, some GMs may create frameworks with specific goals in mind. Uh, you may even create goals that the players can pick from to give them a specific role in the campaign. That can be really good if you have a very tight story that you want yes. to, uh, a very specific story you want to tell, and you don't have a mm-hmm. whole lot of room for alteration, though you want to have some because, you know, hopefully your players get to have a say in where things go. Mm-hmm. <coughs> a lot of... Uh, Pathfinder adventure paths include what are called campaign traits, mm-hmm. which are little character boosts that get you immediately invested in the story. Yeah. With Things like that. With forming these goals, uh, you may want to, in your session zero, literally just straight up ask, what do you want this character to do this month, this year, before they retire? You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if if you have six players in your game and you're juggling eighteen goals, pretty sure you can you can get uh, eighteen sessions out of that. Yeah, probably. You can get plenty of plenty of stuff out That's of that. That's a lot of adventure. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of adventure packed into there. Yep. Uh, Leona, uh, what does your GM do with goals? Does he does he do they touch them much? Oh, absolutely. Uh, he actually gives Fantastic. he actually gives us player questionnaires. He hands out this three-page questionnaire and we fill them out and hand them back to him. And, um, (laughs) yeah. And and while we were in our campaign running two characters apiece, um, Mm. but what's happening now is we had three players and we're getting two more, so we're taking our... So we now have five players, so the three of us that are already in, we're ditching one character apiece. So I have okay. to say mm-hmm. goodbye to another character. Yeah. No, you Did, just lost they're one. They're going to die, It's riding off yeah, into no, the sunset. You're good here. Yes, I know. But we're having, <laughs> what we're having is a what do you want session. Basically <laughs> okay. something, you know, crazy. So we tell him something <laughs> that we want and he's going to try and work it in. Like, we want a party, we want, you know, a uh, a crazy Vegas wedding thing yeah. we want, you know, one of our characters to end up in a joust who, you know, she doesn't know how to joust and, you know, things like that. It's just going to be a All fun right. send off for the three characters that are going away. So I am losing my Orlesian assassin. Because I had to choose between my Orlesian assassin and my Ferelden ranger. Gotcha. So I am keeping right. my ranger. But, okay. So, Have yeah. you decided what you want to happen to the Orlesian assassin? No, I'm going to see what happens in this crazy party, okay. wedding, joust that I don't know what's going to happen. Something's <laughs> happening on Sunday. It's going to be ridiculous. <laughs> and we're going to see what happens. I'm not sure. All I'll right. let y'all know what happens. She may we get, would love to find out. She may get married. She may end up as the horse in the joust. Who knows? <laughs> I mean, it's going to be ridiculous. 
I, I'm just trying to <laughs> picture a tiny little, like, Orlesian assassin with a knight in path plate mounted atop her. And she's, like, <laughs> running that down Even better than Why that. that Even Kelly? better than that, she is Empress Selene's third cousin as well. So. Oh, that'll be great for everyone involved. <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's going to be ridiculous, and it's going to be fun, and it's going to be a good way to send off the character who's not dying so that she can come back in the future should the need arise. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I've already lost a character this session. And... You did. That was tragic. Did. It was. It was awful. I was crying for, like, weeks. <laughs> it's so sad. But, you know, the funny stuff can definitely uh, be a great sort of memorable part of the long-term campaign. Like, oh. our last uh, our last session for the Brazilian campaign was a Hot Springs episode. Yes. <laughs> like, a literal Hot Springs episode where somebody found a hot springs and invited a whole bunch of world rulers at the same time and we had to keep the peace and use the hot springs. Our last campaign we had, I mean, the most, <coughs> one of the most memorable moments was something really ridiculous where we, um, we were, it was, we were a bunch of mercenaries and the one Kunari was just, his whole thing was sex and booze, sex and booze, and he wanted to seduce somebody and he rolled a nat 20. So he seduced what? the entire tent of pe- and it was just oh it was a bacchanalia in there it was yes <laughs> and we just we keep coming back to this as him sitting on top of a pile of well satisfied bodies <laughs> okay this, <laughs> actually I love that status red light edition <laughs> yeah it was it <laughs> to get the ex- we know what game we're talking about. That was about that was, that was PG thirteen. That was about as PG thirteen okay. as I could make it. Um because it was <laughs> Oh no. It was ridiculous, but it was wonderful and it's something we still talk about. Very it's good. Stuff like that that you never forget. The ridiculous stuff. So something like that is gonna happen on Sunday and I'll let you guys know because mm-hmm. yeah. Nice. Yes. We look forward to hearing about it. Down for it. <laughs> Ah, so, um, an important thing that I thought was worth mentioning about goals, uh, and one of the things that I really like about goals is that they can change. Yeah, they're not set in stone. Yes. Uh, over the course of the campaign, uh, goals can change in shape and complexity. Uh, players may decide to take the character in a new direction because of how the story progresses, or the heroes may get what they want and need new aspirations to keep going forward. Uh, as a GM or a player, do not be afraid to change, abandon, or add goals as the story progresses. Mm-hmm. You may even find it rewarding or exciting to have the players make the goals public, so everyone can see how the adventure has changed the heroes. Uh, goals are an organic and fluid method of seeing not only how your campaign is growing, but how the characters themselves have shifted priorities. Um, and as a suggestion, uh, I thought it would be a cool idea to not erase goals from your character's sheet when they have completed them, uh, slash decided to abandon them, simply check them off or mark them as completed or abandoned. Uh, it can give the hero some history and depth and show and give you kind of like a blow-by-blow blow about how the character has evolved. Uh, that said, these character sheets are often not full of space, so maybe keeping them as a separate list that you keep with the character sheet could be a little bit more practical for your or, or just on the backside, backside of the front page. Yeah, That's true. If, you don't, if you're not double-siding, that would work perfectly. Write them very small. <laughs> very tiny. 
Especially if you're in, if you're actually in here for the long haul and have some uh, twists and turns planned. Uh, in terms of having public goals, that's a good way of getting around the kind of gritty loner problem that a lot of tables oh, have. Yeah. Because if, if your goals are public, and you know, and everyone at the table knows that, oh, I have a I have a history. I I killed a gray warden while I was at Weishaupt this one time. You know, there was, uh, and I managed to escape, but no one else knows that. So shh. But if everyone at the table knows that, it, it, it makes it a part of the game, as opposed to something that gets on gets put on the character sheet and then forgotten. I like that. That's a good point. Now all the players are waiting for that one day when it finally gets revealed. Mm -hmm. And then what are we going to do? So yes, uh, I think that that is a great idea. And of course, also, some goals uh, can be fun if they're kept secret. Uh, mm -hmm. I hadn't written down any particular examples, but it is, but it is just the flip side of keeping the of, of like showing them to all the other players or just writing them on your character yeah. sheet and then just kind of leaving them there. Although in general, I think that keeping goal like when you're working with other players to tell a mm -hmm. story, as much collaboration as possible yes. is usually a good idea. But I think you know keeping goals secret from other characters yes is hugely valuable mm -hmm. for sure. But when you're working with other players, it's often a good idea to, like, you know, share things, even if your character wouldn't, just so that the mm -hmm. players know and you guys can really work. Like, well, what if I got really mad about that? And then Michael should, you know, could what escape if, the drama. What if the player made it public <coughs> that they had a secret goal? I feel like you'd have or to be a very specific campaign. <laughs> or is that too convoluted? Or are we just playing an Orlesian game? <laughs> A, that's very Orlesian, and B, that's a quick way to sow distrust between players. Right. Fair enough. <clears throat> if you're expecting the party to break up and fight, that's a great way to start it. Yeah, fair enough. Maybe don't do that. <laughs> or do if you have a very uh, mature group to play with. <clears throat> if you're into that, more power to you. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, next is uh, building in your backgrounds. All of your characters have got them, so you should definitely play to them. Uh, yeah. So you've got plenty... For the long-term campaign, you've got lots of time to address the PC's background uh, and uh, any NPCs that they may have ha may, uh, may have uh, in their backstory that hopefully they have written out and gotten to you. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. that's always nice. This is something I've, all I've had to learn and... What I still struggle with is making my backstories too vague. Um, mm -hmm. And like, say, like for example, my first, pe my first character, my Dalish elf, was just an angry elf who wanted revenge. And I never like delved into why. I knew why. I had all of this great stuff, but I never told the the DM. I never, you know, expanded on it, so nobody knew why she was just this angry elf running around. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, create friends and family and enemies yes. and make specific events that have happened in the backstory that show what, why your character is the way they are right now. Um, you know, my assassin who's leaving, I could have said, you know, she's an Orlesian who, you know, ran amok in the, in the game and, you know, and, and had to leave Orlais, rather than saying, okay, well, she 
framed her mentor so her cousin would kill the mentor and then she told her lover about it and then the lover is blackmailing her to do something she doesn't want to do so now she has to get away from Orlay and that's why she's hiding out in the Inquisition. Mm -hmm. That's a lot more specific and a lot more you can pull on than just I left Orlay because stuff what happened. A good way to yeah. work that sort of thing in, when you're at your session zero as you're GMing, as as your players are filling out those goals, what do you want this month, what do you want this year, what do you want before you die or retire, ask them for, give me one friend, give me one enemy, and give me one rival. Yeah, that's not a bad way to that do way, it. That's a lot of fun Again, stuff to play you with. know, if you have six people at the table, or five, or, uh, five people at the table, you're already starting with 15 NPCs that you didn't have to create. Mm-hmm. And, that, there you go, and yeah. that your players automatically want to be engaged with. Right. And that, that automatically also kind of prevents the sort of loner Christian bail, everyone I love is dead, <laughs> I don't know who did it, like... We have had our share of those. We had a couple of those. And, and the neat yeah. thing is, you can have those roles evolve. <laughs> I think about actually a Cold Steel Wardens campaign I ran. My wife had a character who started as a rival. Uh, she was running kind of a John Constantine sorcerer type uh, con man character that resulted in this rival of hers being crippled. Um, he lost the lost the use of his legs. He was you know hospitalized for months. Really resented uh, my wife's character. But by the end of the game, because of the interactions between she and and that character, managed to finally bring him around and make him a friend. So there's a there's a lot of change that can go there, and that you know goes right hand in hand with goals. Oh yeah, I agree. One thing that I tend to do, like I, I forget about it until I start up another like another uh, long term campaign, and then I find it again, and then I send it to everybody, and then they all groan at me. <clears throat> uh, I have this, like, 100-question questionnaire that I found on the internet, and it asks you 100 questions that you have to answer in the voice of your character, and it's all about them and, they, like, how they grew up and who they lived with and when was their first kiss and, like, what do they think about family, what do they think about religion, what was the, the worst thing they've ever done. It's got a whole bunch of questions, and it takes a bajillion years to finish it, but, uh... Boy, if you're not sure what your character sort of sounds like or how they talk or where they've come from, by the by the end of this thing you will know. Like it is it is very thorough. There are a number of those kind of questionnaires <laughs> floating around online. Uh, a friend of mine who ran a lot of, ran a lot of Savage Worlds specifically used to use uh, the 15 minute character background that worked really well. A, a question that I often came across that really helped me get into jumping into a character's background, what's their favorite meal? Oh, I love that what question. Is, what would be the the thing that they would want to eat most? What's their death row meal, so to speak? Because mm-hmm. uh, that right. gives a lot of insight into what they value and, you know, what's uh, what sort of things are important to them. Yeah, I gotta think about that. I like yeah. that. I don't actually know the answer to that. In the same vein, um, in my DM's character questionnaire... The, my favorite question to answer is, if your character was going to die in 24 hours, what are the five things your character would want to do in those 24 hours? Ooh. Yeah, the 100-question questionnaire has a similar one on it. Yeah. Yep. Nice. And, and that's my favorite question, because that's like, well, 
it's going to be the five most important things in their entire life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are they going to do? That's good. That's real good. So there are lots of really mm-hmm. useful things on the lots of tools on the internet that yes. you can use to make some great background. I love that uh, both of those questions actually. I think they're both really indicative of how a character develops and uh, what's at the core. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Helping boil it down <coughs> to what is important to this person, mm-hmm. and you can build a lot off of that. Off of that, just that's just that question. Uh, nice. Within as you're structuring your campaign, though, it's important that you're giving a fair amount of limelight to each player. Now, if you mm-hmm. if you're sitting down with three goals per character, and you know maybe three NPCs per character, you, it, it's good. You've already have balance established, but when that's at the table, it's very easy to give precedence to one that might fit into the plot line that you already have moving. Um, to give an example of one way to start weaving these type of B stories in and out, uh, I'll actually cite the the Dragon Age campaign I just I just finished up. I had a very disparate group here, only four players, but I had an Orlesian noblewoman mage, a Dalish elf, a Kunari Talvashoth mercenary, and a dwarven fighter, uh, a surface right. dwarf fighter. So. All different races, all very different backgrounds. But paying attention to their goals, paying attention to their backgrounds... Okay, well, Drunkle Grug's fighter was very interested in exploring. He was a family man that, you know, was kind of on his last time out and, you know, wasn't sure whether he still had the adventurer spirit or whether he should be. It was a very midlife crisis storyline. So he started kind of working in <laughs> some familial aspects into the party. It's like he's the mother hen looking out for them. Um, our, our, Dalish, uh, our Dalish rogue really wanted to delve into elven culture. So we had a whole subplot that dealt with the, for, uh, the Forgotten Ones and some crazy uh, blood valisling symbiotes that were, uh, that were taking over elves. And it was a good time, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> I'll I'll just bet. Um, uh, my wife playing the playing the Orlesian mage was very interested in courtly politics, and she wrote a lovely long background uh, about you know her brother who got uh, who was basically scapegoated for her in the uh, when the Templars came a calling, and lo and behold, her brother comes back and happens to be the big bad of the campaign. Oh, no. uh, but being Oof. able to weave in each of those B-plots, something that that character is telling you as their goal, as their background, something they're already invo- invested in, will really give your campaign depth. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And keep you going mm-hmm. for the long term. That's not a pun. No, it wasn't. Okay. It, was, it was It's a title drop. That's fair. Very important distinction. I'll allow it. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Uh, so, uh, a very important thing that makes sure to keep this game exciting is a campaign-length villain, or villains. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are the recurring villains that pop up, that can pop up in the adventure. Uh, the, the heroes thwart them, they shake their fist, and run off into the night. Uh, only <laughs> to be thwarted by the heroes once again later. These are actually fairly difficult to do in tabletop RPGs. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yes. Because of the amount of autonomy that <clears throat> players can have uh, in, let's see, in a moment where they are standing in the same room with somebody, um, it can be tricky to include them very much in the story because players will want to uh, jump them. You know, you have thinking about it, you have pulled this off successfully in every major campaign that you have run. Which right? one? What? All of them. You've pulled this off successfully, the, the major recurring villain. I'm not sure how I did it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, but boy, did also... we A, hate these people, and B, not manage to kill them for a very long time. You, in fact, ended up uh, redeeming several of them. Yeah, we did. Um, I also kept breaking that one cardinal rule where you don't bring the big bad villain in the campaign to introduce to the heroes right away <laughs> because it creates that possibility that they will that the heroes will find some weird way of <laughs> dropping a chandelier on them. Yes. Never never underestimate the canniness of your players. It was very dangerous. I don't know how I got away with it well, so many part times. Part of it's because I think we're all consummate like storytellers as well, mm -hmm. and it just wouldn't have been dramatic effect if the big bad had died of chandelier-related injuries the moment we met. Also, in one of them, we didn't realize he was the big bad. Because yes. he, he pretended I was very to proud be of this. an underling and begged us to let him free, and we let him go, and that was one of the worst things that either of us did. He regretted that exchange, and so did we. Like, Oh, man, he really wishes he killed them. <laughs> he wishes so bad that he had killed us right off the bat. Oh, very we, bad. He was, like, 15th level and 10th mythic tier, and... Well, not at that point he wasn't 10th with the but he was still like 15th, 16th level, and we were all level 3, and it's like, he probably should have killed us, but... We were convenient at the time, yep. and he was lazy, so... But yeah, these <laughs> characters really become a huge part, I think, of uh, the, the campaign dynamic. I think that if you can pull it off, having the, the BBEG that lasts for mm -hmm. a while, that the characters can somehow get to know, mm -hmm. but not kill gives a really strong uniting vibe and just a really interesting party, di like th a dynamic to oppose the party, a really cool yes. foil. Mm -hmm. And and striking that balance is, it, <coughs> it can be very difficult. Um, oh, it's so delicate. In, in, terms of, in terms of Dragon Age Inquisition, there are parts of the game that, that did this expertly, but there are also parts of the game that, that absolutely fumbled the ball in this regard, in terms of Corypheus. Um... When you when you start out that game, all you're hearing rumors of the Elder One. You might hear just a, just dribs and drabs of information up until the attack on Haven, when we finally put a face to a name. And that section from Haven through about two thirds of the way through the game, up until the the Elven Temple we start seeing more and more of his active hands. We see Samson or Camp Calpurnia. We see Lord Aramond, who you just want to beat the smug off of his face with. Uh, we see Corypheus's dragon uh, time and again. So we start understanding the menace, even though we don't necessarily are, even though we aren't necessarily one-on-one -on -one with him, until we hit that end game where it's either we're taking the fight to him and that's the end, or we don't hear from him again. Mm -hmm. So, take a lesson from, from the things that the video games themselves are doing, because they're, they're writing the same type of role-playing game that, that we are here. Um, 
Origins does this expertly with the happy little cutscenes where you see Logan, you know, wringing his hands at the, you know, the the thing that you just foiled his plans once more. Uh, those sorts of cutscenes are invaluable. If you have, uh, mm-hmm. or hiring a very handsome elf to go kill yes. the warden. <laughs> so, <laughs> so just make sure that in some way, whether it's through underlings, whether it's through them being there themselves, whether it's being, uh, we have a suggestion here, using the dream-sending spell. Of like, yes, we're gonna, I love we're gonna, that spell so much! We're gonna torture you anyway. in your dreams. That That's brilliant. Let's do that. Um, that's perfect. Don't let your villain fade into the background. If, uh, if you want this guy... To be the sort of campaign length villain that he can't that they can be, make sure that every step they're along for the ride. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I just thought about mm-hmm. is an, a sort of uh, <clears throat> maybe an exception, or not not so much an exception, but a possible way for a quote sort of BBEG mm-hmm. to be a long-standing one is. If you're playing, like, a very silly campaign, like, one that is primarily Mm comedy-based, and you get your, like, Dr. Eggman versus Sonic the Hedgehog vibe, where nobody really actually wants anyone dead, but they are at opposing ends, and they're gonna definitely keep trying to do things that the other doesn't want. The game is important. Yeah. The game and is the game is important an important here. part of it. Like, the defeating of each other is an important part. So that, that, and that is, uh... Obviously, very non-serious kind of campaign it's very, for something it's like very that. It's very Venture Brothers right there. It's like, yes. I'm arching, you know. It, exactly. It's one of those where neither side really wants to eliminate the other, but they will absolutely screw with them, mm-hmm. like, as much as possible. Yeah. And I will, you know, send them blasting off again yes. to reference another popular culture mm-hmm. example. You could tone it down and maybe fit it into a Dragon Age game, but they probably shouldn't be the main villain. Yeah. In a, in a Dragon Age game, it would have to be like a side villain, a comedy sort of thing, because you can't have that much... For the for the setting, it would be difficult to make it a sort of, like, <laughs> to Sonic Boom style. To have that guy right style. next to freaking Corypheus. Yeah. yeah, no. But, uh, in general, it is an option to have a comical mm-hmm. bad... You know, a, com- a comical enemy that just sort of keeps coming back yeah. because you never do anything to really get rid of them. <coughs> Fun stuff. Yes. Well, we talked about the uh, the villains. Why don't we talk about some of the rewards? Some of the stuff you're going to get. Uh, Age doesn't do reward schedules like some more rule-intensive systems that we might play. Uh, partially because the game does not expect you to have specific abilities or equipment at specific levels of play. Um, this can mean that knowing exactly how to reward your PCs can be a little challenging. We do touch on this on uh, episode 33, so feel free to go check that out if you'd like. Uh, We go into it a bit more in depth. Um, But your campaign structure is likely going to inform what uh, rewards are thematically appropriate. Uh, In political adventures, titles and honorifics are probably going to be as large a role as gold does, Mm -hmm. um, giving you maybe you can swap in some titles or some uh, honorifics to get bonuses during specific social interactions and play down some others that might give you penalties. Um, Your campaign may call for new forms of rewards beyond money and fame. Uh, Maybe you gain capital. Gain, like, very vague resources. Maybe you gain uh, the opportunity to start an organization. 
Ooh, where yeah, where like we're going, or, I'm going to create a thieves guild, or I'm going to build a mercenary company, or hey, I have this plot of land and a castle over there. Let's let's actually establish a barony or or whatever or an earldom, I suppose. I like it. So um, that in and of itself can be a reward. Uh, that ability and enhancement to those. Hey, I just bought our mercenary company a trebuchet. Awesome. <laughs> You're a great boss. Um, and uh, these can also be things that... Um, a lot of rewards come, like, incidentally. Like, you open the chest, and there's the thing. Um, or they come along uh, unexpected. Like, I didn't know that that guard over there was going to have a magic sword. But um, one of the things that you can do to help uh, keep a campaign fresh... Uh, is to tell heroes about potential rewards. Let them know what they can work for. Um, Inquisition does this a lot in ways that you can uh, boost the Inquisition uh, by fulfilling requisitions or uh, finding uh, new recipes and finding uh, agents to recruit, uh, finding uh, re new research notes for potions to upgrade your potions. Mm -hmm. um, Dragon Age, uh, goodness, Awakening has a couple of side quests that you can do to improve uh, warden, it's, you can improve uh, what is it? Vigil. Mm, That's the keep. name of it. Vigil's Keep. Mm -hmm. Can uh, find that dwarf contractor to give him 80 sovereigns <laughs> to build up the castle walls. He's awesome. He don't work cheap. That was... Dworkin. He don't work cheap. Dworkin, right, was his name? I think so. Yeah. yeah Something like that. Huge. Ex is he the, or is he the explosives guy? Dworkin was the, the explosives guy. guy. Okay. Right. You can also help him. Oh, I, I always help Dworkin. I want the big, it, the biggest explosions. Explosions are absolutely a reward. Who are we kidding Absol here? Of course. <laughs> That's, feel That's free why to we make, play. Uh, yeah, feel free to make explosions and ways to create them part of your reward system. And I mean, like, hey, players, <laughs> go on this adventure and you can learn explosions. It's a good time. And now they want to do the adventure. And they will line up. Oh, yes. Yeah. Because that's why we play Bioware games, right? Romances and explosions. Yep. That said, though, you have to kind of temper the amount of sort of proverbial explosion mm -hmm. that you are giving your characters. Like, uh, if you, depending on how much you give your players as rewards, your players might find later parts of your game a bit easier than you intended. So, like, if you gave your piece, if you gave one of the PCs the meteor sword. Or, say, I don't know, like, a bazooka or something? Like, I don't know how you did that. Gatlock doesn't work like that. Gatlock does not work like that. But... Not yet, at least. You're going to probably regret it very soon. Like, one of the prime examples that I've seen is uh, a one from, for you, I believe, that became a bit of a challenge, is there's a rule set in Pathfinder that's called Mythic. Uh, there oh, goes. Lordy. There's the face. You can't there see it, it audience, but the eyes but, just oh. rolled. Like, oh, right oh, back right out of Ren's hand. Oh, Lordy. Yeah, um, Mythic <laughs> grants the players and the, uh, and the enemies a sort of amount of godlike power. It's like rocket fuel for a game. I thought it would be fun. See, the problem <laughs> with putting rocket fuel on a rocket is the rocket takes off. <laughs> oh, man. And it definitely did. And while it made for an exceptional campaign where everything was... You know, god level important. I had to add so many advanced templates to just 
keep things relevant. Yeah, we ended up being more, way more powerful than Ren had anticipated. And I had and six PCs per group. Yeah, that oh. was your fault. Yeah. It was... You it was, did three It groups. was wild. And then you brought them together for a I final to, fight. I had so. to have some characters take at least two or three turns so that they could remain. Yeah. Wow. So, word of, word of caution from Ren, basically... Be very careful with what you think. Hey, the players might find this a little fun. <laughs> hey, this might be cool. The players will get a kick out of this. Oh, yeah, uh, they will. And then <laughs> they did. absolutely will. We did. Um, I love being a god. It was great. But then when you find out that an, uh, an armor class less than 50 means absolutely nothing to your players, you're going yeah. yeah. to regret some things. Because it's, it's really hard to dial back on rewards that you've given your PCs. Because some players will understand that, you know, things have gotten out of hand. But some players will like their new toys. And they will be very upset that you're taking them away. Which, be sad. they're having fun. And you're taking away that fun so that you can readjust. And some folks do not adjust well to that. A good, so, a, be very careful. A good it. way to, to temper uh, this sort of thinking is to make sure when you're planning on giving rewards at the end of an adventure or at the end of a camp, uh, at the end of an arc of a campaign, um, is to think honestly about the the tropes going on in a Dragon Age game. I mean, there are there are very finite rules on magic that very rarely get. Uh, get altered. So if you're giving Boots of Flying out in a Dragon Age game where, yes, there's, be so where there's nobody else flying, mm-hmm. not, not maybe not Except a good idea. Corypheus, um, maybe? That's part of what makes Corypheus so dangerous, though. Apparently, Blight Magic gives you flight, everybody. Blight Did magic you know e- that? Well, all you gotta do is take the B and change it to an F and you're good. <laughs> but it... If you keep sure. those... those uh, genre tropes in mind when you're when you're thinking about rewards, you know, it it'll help temper some of those some of those expectations. Now that's not to say that including some giant MacGuffin that you know is the all-seeing, all-powerful orb of what have you. I mean, those can be useful, but in a lot of ways, it it makes more sense to keep those as the MacGuffin, as in the Maltese Falcon. Mm-hmm. is It's the thing everyone wants. Why do they want it? Because they want it. Yes. Fair enough. Also, maybe don't use Mythic if you're not ready for it. It's a <laughs> system in a different you story. Ready for it. You, you're, you're not ready for it. You think you're oh. ready, you're not ready for it. <laughs> Just dip it. Just dip a little bit. Like, three Mythic ranks. That's enough. And then the gods take it back. They said they were going to take it back. That's cool. Ren has... <laughs> some some feelings about this. Oh yeah, I do. Everyone had fun. That's had the important really part. Time. It's the important part, but we killed a god. Yes, you did kill a god. We did a good job. It was wild. Anyway, that aside. Mm-hmm. Um, a very uh, <coughs> thing that will save you a lot of trouble is to write ahead. Um, it seems kind of obvious, but it can be a very easy thing to miss, uh, especially when you've gotten several sessions in. Is to be ready for what happens next. Uh, and if you can, be ready for what happens after that, too. Uh, feel free to paint the beginning, the middle, and the end of your story in broad strokes. Uh, have a general idea of what's going to happen and what you want and what the players want, because they've hopefully given you a bunch of goals. Um, 
you can make rough acts, uh, and you can uh, for your adventure to go through. Think ahead on the challenges, decision points, uh, and rewards that your campaign's going to have. Um, you don't need to know all the stat blocks, all the hazard stats, or even know how much gold everyone's going to get after every encounter. Just know what to expect, uh, and make some educated guesses about what your players might do, and you can get things planned pretty far ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can also be helpful uh, to write down what is likely to happen. Uh, actually, something this is something that I saw in the... Uh, the adventure, uh, A Fragile Web. Mm. Um, specifically, uh, the last act of the adventure. Um, Try not to give too many spoilers. Right. In the last act of the adventure, they, one of the sections of the adventure says, gives a play-by-play for a very eventful evening um, mm. should the players not get involved. Um, so it gives you a kind of... It gives you a roadmap already. Assuming that the players don't do anything, here's what's going to happen. Usually not good things. Usually not good things. Um, but you can use that as kind of a framework to start extrapolating to where your players can go from here. If this doesn't happen, then what's going to happen to the next chain of events? I'm going to self-plug here for a moment because <laughs> I spend, I think, six pages on structuring timeline-style investigations in Cold Steel Wardens. That's exactly nice. how to build these uh, within... within you know, a one-to-two-session story. So. Very good. All the more reason to check it out, everybody. So, It's in there. Very good. We would uh, expect no less. Absolutely. Uh, and, of course, uh, one of the best ways to write stuff <laughs> is to write lots of things. Um, if you have an idea for an encounter, if you've got the time to get the ideas on paper or, or on, let's see, or uh, on, a, on a Word document or in a wiki, write them down. Um, it can give you, it's, uh, even if you don't use it right away, you could save it for later or even save pieces of it that you like. Um, everything that you can make uh, serves you later in the campaign. Um, if you've got an idea for a magical treasure, uh, write it down. If you've got a monster or an NPC stat block, write that down too. Uh, if you've got an idea for a hazard, write it down, friendo. Uh, effort in crafting resources for your campaign is very rarely wasted. Also, one uh, thing that I've heard and thought was a really good idea mm-hmm. is when you are crafting like non-major encounters, mm-hmm. obviously like not the sticking points of your story, uh, make them kind like make them somewhat vaguely at first but it's like the idea of uh, a board game where you can draw tiles and it'll make different rooms in a house where if somehow you create this great uh, fight and your PCs just bypass it doing what PCs do best which is go the direction you didn't want them to go give them left, right (coughs) uh, and down uh, they go up somehow Yes. Mm -hmm. yes they do but that way, if you keep them sort of uh, designable enough, sort of like a like a paper doll, and then you can just change the dressing on the uh, on the encounter. Then you can just slip it back farther into the story and mm-hmm. just recycle the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, a lot of a lot of computer games, I mean, do this now. That the idea of procedural generation. I mean, there are whole rooms that are already structured that you know will just get dropped into place, and it, it's a good way to. It's a good way for you to make sure that you're not wasting your prep time, but also uh, that there that you're able to provide your characters with interesting encounters that are fully thought out. Now, 
be careful with that because you can't end up uh, railroading in, in, if you do it too soon or mm -hmm. too directly. But it's absolutely a great tool. I, sure. I would also add, though, make sure you have a good, good handle on system mastery and can make things up on the fly. Because, that can only because help. Because when, when your players go off the rails and not do if, something... Not when. Yes, exactly. Not if, when. When your players go off the rails, mm -hmm. you may not have the stat blocks for that Ferelden Guardsman, you know, handy. You may not have your book handy. This is where knowing that, okay, well, if he has a strength of three and he has focus in a weapon, that gives him a plus five to hit... And if it's a one-handed weapon, it's 2d6 plus 3 strength for damage. You know, being able to, to know those sorts of mechanical breakpoints can be really helpful when you're forced to move beyond your notes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, Leona, does your GM have to improvise much, or are you yes. all good players? Oh, oh no, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's silly. We are excellent players in that we go off the rails as much as humanly possible. Uh, and dwarvenly possible and elfenly possible and sentient being possible. Yes, we don't have any Kunaris in our game yet, but I think okay. we may soon. Um Yeah, um so Derek is constantly having to make things up on the fly. There's been times where, like you said, we avoid the encounter altogether. Where we come up with a different way to just not fight the bad guy. Um, one of them involved, you know, letting one of our mages maybe being possessed by a spirit. And that solved the encounter. We didn't have to fight the, the shaman's, you know, pet lizard. If we allowed our mage to be possessed for a small amount of time, and she was revenge, so she was really all right with it. But <laughs> I was like, yeah, it seems seems legit. Yeah, so that kind of thing. Um, all right. But yeah, he's had to he's had to write around a few things, but he likes that because it means he can save stuff for later as well. <laughs> That's a fair point. We are a very eclectic bunch that likes to find weird ways of succeeding. That reminds me of something that, that happened right. in, in the very last session of the DA campaign we just we just wrapped up. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's a little off topic, so I'll, I'll save it. I'll save it for later if you like. But uh, but yeah, I was, I was told we had to ask about it. So <laughs> that's a good point. We do have to ask about it. <laughs> I, I so is this, uh, is this a good post show thing? Perhaps this, this might be a good post show. show. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. So, All right. Well, we'll come back thought. to that. Yes. Oh, absolutely. All right. Um, some very now. Uh, I'm, I'm Andy. I'm very glad you added this section because this is a very good section. Uh, is the logistics yeah. of running a long-term yeah. campaign as as, mm -hmm. as nice as it is to plot out this gorgeous campaign that's nuanced and and has feature time for all the characters and has interesting N N NPCs. At the end of the day, we're still real people, <laughs> which means mm, yes. that. We have to make a lot of outside the magic circle work take place to have a regular game night. That's a good point. Within it's within true. this, definitely use technology. Everybody, ninety nine percent of people have a smartphone right now. 
all of them have a calendar app on. If you can set up using Google calendars or, you know, if, you, if you're an Apple user, I don't know why, uh, but whatever Apple's yeah. currently <laughs> using, you can set up calendars that you can share with others. You can set up automated alerts. I actually did this with my home group where we... It would send an RSVP email two days ahead of game night. It would, uh, our game night was Friday night at 7, so it w- or 7.30, nice. rather. So it would send on Wednesday night, 7.30, yes, maybe, no. And then it would send a, remi- a re- reminder notification an hour ahead of game. That way people knew, oh, hey, I got to head out. Um, it, it takes Excellent. you all of 10 minutes to set up and can save you a ton of hassle. Mm-hmm. That does sound nice. I don't know how much it would have saved us for a couple of our games, but mm-hmm. it, it could have saved a few. It could have it would have saved a few. I mean, in my um, case, just I, having those reminders. In my case, I have you know in my brain constantly counting down to two p.m. on Sunday <laughs> because that's when game starts, and when it's yeah, not yeah, two yeah. p.m. on Sunday, I'm sitting there saying, "Why isn't it two p.m. on Sunday?" <laughs> <laughs> Like every I day love that, that feeling. Yeah, every day that I wake up, but it's not Sunday. I'm like, God, it's not Sunday. So that's a good feeling to have. I mean, and then Sunday rolls around, and I'm like, yes. So so I don't really it need like RSVP you... and the reminders because mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. I'm there. I'm please <laughs> let it be Sunday. <laughs> well, good. Uh, fantastic. Uh, when you when you have some of your group juggling ch- juggling flaming chainsaws, it. Uh, game can kind of get lost in the shuffle sometimes. It's true. Yeah, I blow off everything for Sundays. Like, I, <laughs> Good. And my family, uh, during football season, is usually every Sunday afternoon, we're at my parents' house watching the football game because they have the NFL package and we can watch our team. Sorry, this is my cat. Keeps messing up the notes. Sorry. <laughs> he's, leaning, he's leaning on... My cat is leaning on the keyboard. <laughs> so, sorry. I, just, I kind of enjoy that it just said what is happening. <laughs> Uh, up here in the middle of... Sorry. Um, oh, don't make me laugh. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, he like he's putting all sorts of stuff in there. I'm sorry. Um, but... So, but now it's like my parents are like, are you coming up for the game on Sunday? I'm like, no. I'm game? Stuff. Sunday? Like, oh, yeah, I you're playing am... the game, aren't you? Yes, I'm playing my game, Mom. I was in Myrtle Beach for a week, and I brought my laptop with me so I could still play my game while everybody was out on the beach. I'm sitting in the condo playing on Roll20 because Kudos. things are more important than being on the beach. I, Indeed. Much as I love my dice, I think I'd be on the beach at that point. But. Well, I was there for a week. I was going to take my seven hours on Sunday and play my game. Nope. Also, I think you are you are about the same shade of pale as Ren and Ren and I happen to be. So I'm guessing too much time on the beach it's might have caused you some pain and, and crispiness tragedy. It does, and I have rosacea as well, <laughs> so that when it hit, the sun hits my face, it turns like beet red. Mm. Oh no! So it's like sounds like yeah. Me. So I'm on the beach in like SPF ninety with an umbrella, yep. and I'm still burnt to a crisp so you should have seen us after our honeymoon it was pretty tragic we were trying real hard we had sunscreen on like every other half every other half hour we were yeah we were reapplying sunscreen uh no no luck but uh anyway a couple of boiled lobsters when we got back 
The perils of being but, you know, not, white people. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's it's rough. It's so hard. So no. hard. Anyway, <laughs> sarcasm aside, uh, it's uh, not every player is going to be as diligent as uh, our Leona is. So having these things that help keep people on schedule can be beneficial. Mm-hmm. For some people, they will be a must. Mm-hmm. Some people just, you know... Schedules just aren't their thing, so giving them a little help along is is it's just going to make everything easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can keep it, to a to a fairly rigid schedule, that's that's going to be better. Mm-hmm. Like if you can say, okay, we are gaming every other Saturday afternoon, two to six. Um, that's going to be a lot easier to manage than say than at the end of each game night being well. Well, I can't make Friday, but I could do Saturday. Well, I can't do Saturday, but I can do Sunday morning. To, you know, um, if you can if you can get a regular day, I mean that's your ideal right there. Mm-hmm. That's the dream. That's the dream. <laughs> that dream. Yeah. So. Um, another way that you can make the logistics a little simpler is uh, rewarding players for bookkeeping. I really like this idea. And we've done this before, yes. I believe. We've done this before. We handed out some hero points for uh, have players who helped with the logistics. Downside um, there is everybody had a bunch of hero points. Yep. And, we and had... mythic powers. <laughs> oh, jeez. What was I thinking? I don't know, but I had No, I'm glad you guys had a good time. Um but uh, having somebody be the loot keeper or the treasurer, <laughs> someone who opens up a Google Doc and, and uh, keeps note of what is and see what the players have earned, uh, can mm-hmm. save folks a lot of trouble. Um, somebody who maybe, if you maybe like have a wiki for your campaign, which uh, I know I certainly like to do. Uh, if you have somebody who takes notes uh, for major NPCs or locations, or even fills out the wiki for you, that's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, or somebody who can at least keep track of what happened last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I open every session, regardless of campaign, with uh, what what we call last time on Power Rangers, where <laughs> I love that. Where it's okay, we're gonna go around the table and tell me what you did last time. That way, everyone gets in that nice. mindset of mm-hmm. oh, here's where we're at, and this is what we're pursuing, and uh, this is what we're going to start doing as soon as we actually get into the game. I like that. Yeah, Ren did something a bit similar for uh, our old. Yes. Rep- I loved this. We had a, we had an old. You want to yeah. tell? We had a Clone Wars era Star Wars game, um, but I was a big fan of the Clone Wars TV show, it's uh, which had a very like Flash Gordon style uh, opener style every episode. Opener every episode where they last time on. Say, or they uh, they give you like a, a rundown of what's going on and will the heroes be will the heroes be successful and I I wrote out a crawl for every for every uh, <laughs> session uh, session and did it in the voice and I did it and in you the did voice. the music beforehand and it was very very oh, good. I was very proud of that. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Coming up with those uh, was tricky sometimes because I'd have to do it at the last minute, usually like minutes before the session started, but. It was fun. It's a great way to get people back into the swing of things. Definitely. Yes. And, it's a, and it's a good way, it's that kind of, uh, that kind of come to Jesus moment, so to speak. It's like, oh, everybody's, yes. we're table talking, <laughs> we maybe just got back from dinner, we're, you know, talking about the movie we saw, or the, you know, the TV show that's mm-hmm. on, and that's the sort of thing that, that draws everyone in. Especially if you, if you can break parts of that up. So that it's not you as the GM telling the story, but rather your players telling the story. 
but your 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 crawl does sound awesome. No, no, not slightly <laughs> at the least. That's pretty cool. It was it was exceptional. I think for the first campaigns we did, I just made like there was a Star Wars crawl generator mm-hmm. that was like yes. available on StarWars.com. Um, we were running the campaign, so I would make the crawl. I really right. hated the crawl maker because it did the music very strange. Mm-hmm. It like because it, it, they don't want they don't want to play the entire track for yeah. you. So they play the beginning of the track, they cut it off in the middle, uh, and then it plays the end of the track. It's really weird. But so, they were really creative. They I were was fun very, way to get into this very this determined to make sure that the crawl and the music synced up correctly. <laughs> uh, but we did it. It was fun. But yes, all that uh, get fancy, all that can definitely make sure that the focus is on the game now. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you have time, you can also keep an adventure log. Uh, we did that uh, for a couple of our campaigns. It usually, and uh, for us, unfortunately, usually ended up falling by the wayside once we got to like session twenty, and it was just it was just tiring at that point. Yeah, There's just so much stuff continuing to happen. Yeah. The, um, I've used Obsidian Portal for this once uh, when I was running a Deadlands game, and mm-hmm. it it got to be the onus got put on me as the GM to write up all mm-hmm. the all the NPCs and all the locations that they went to and X Y and Z and that's yeah. a lot of writing. It is a lot of and, work, and even beyond mm-hmm. that, if you if you want a good functional wiki, you have to cross-link that stuff so that it's like, oh, yep. this NPC appeared in this city, and you know, uh, this session. Mm-hmm. So, it it, does, it can be it can be daunting, but if you have player buy-in, if you have players that are willing to do that, or if you're willing to reward players to do that, it can be a thing of beauty. Oh, for mm-hmm. sure, especially if you manage to actually like get the whole. Uh, uh, adventure log filled, mm-hmm. you know, the dream. Actually, yeah. you can actually have like the whole thing chronicled. Then you can go back and look at that when the campaign's over yeah. mm-hmm. and relive it. We have a lot of our some of them recorded, actually. Yes, we did get a lot of those sessions recorded. What would happen to the little recording device? <laughs> There's Keith. so much gaming on that thing. <laughs> it was Keith. Maybe Keith still has. Maybe it. Keith still has it. I'll have to ask him for it. Um, and something we actually did for uh, our one of our campaigns uh, for Fink Kingdom of Darkness is we had as uh, one of the things that Obsidian <coughs> Portal let us do uh, was that it had uh, the ability to make forums for your for your campaign. Um, so we would have role playing forums. We do uh, that where we would just <laughs> yeah we you do, do that yeah um, we didn't use them as much as I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Not everybody was uh, quite as gung ho. Uh, about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Although they very much enjoy doing it in the moment, uh, not everybody's quite got time to do it outside yeah, of the game. It's mostly me and Joe. <laughs> it's mostly you and Joe. Um, we have, well, right now, because we have three players in the DM, so there's only four of us. The problem that we have, I mean, that, that each of the players is only is writing for two characters, soon to be one character. DM is writing for all the NPCs. Mm. Oh, yeah. And that's, that if, uh, that's right. That's a lot. If right. one of us wants to have an interaction on our boards with one of the NPCs, he's got to write for it. And when you're writing for, I think right now he's got maybe five or six NPCs that are all Oof. that all can have interactions with our characters. That it gets a little, it gets a little much for yeah. especially for a GM. 
one neat thing yes. I've seen yeah. to deal with that, especially if you have a larger group, and especially if your if your players are privy to, um, if they have a tendency to split the party often, is to literally designate someone else is going to act as that NPC. So if right. if Maria wants to, you know, go talk to this uh, to this fence that she's developed. You hand it off. You say, "Bill, you're you're now the fence. I'm gonna take care of these guys over here." So, All right. uh, so mm -hmm. shunting that duty off to them. Oftentimes, I find that the, the players are harder on each other than than I would mm -hmm. ever be, and that's coming from a pretty Ooh. devious GM. All right, I'm gonna have to remember that. We got again. We got another game coming up here, and I'm gonna have to <coughs> think about having the players mess with each other for me. Huh. Oh, see, Derek is so good at messing with already. us that we just, we have to let him mess with us because, I mean, right. he makes us, he, he pain, I mean, just <laughs> Good GMs pain. deliver pain. Oh, he's very good, very, or, very good at delivering or pain. The word, the word I like to use is ardor. It, yes. it, it <laughs> is a challenge that you want to accept. Oh, oh, absolutely, and he does he does a brilliant job. He's amazing at it, and the, the NPCs that he creates, we all want a piece of because he's they're so great, and for him to shunt them off to somebody else is just unthinkable. But, and I mean, but it's just... He brings the pain, and... <laughs> you know, Sometimes. I keep telling him that I, I trust that all the pain is going to bring a better character for us in the end and he says oh you do do you you think that's why i do it <laughs> oh no punk not good oh. not good bail out yeah but he's so good at it and so i mean we we love playing on the on the boards with him but again it gets to be a lot if you're trying to write for six or seven npcs when for sure when all of your players mm -hmm. are writing for one yeah yeah right so i mean Keep that in mind if you are going to do boards and have something with other players. Have a bunch of stuff with other players. Form relationships with the other players, not just the NPCs that your DM is controlling, which is kind of what's sort of happening with our game. Mm -hmm. yeah. But hopefully, that was actually uh, getting sorry, rid. Sorry, but hopefully, getting rid of one character a piece is going to help that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That actually reminds me of something that uh, came up on uh, the Green Running uh, blog lately. Uh, not not super lately. It's been a little while now, but um, they mentioned uh, giving the players the chance to help you plan for the campaign by having the players craft your villains. Mm, we did oh, this. Yeah. We've done this. We've done this a couple of times. Yeah, people are still salty about we, what oh, Joe yeah. and I created. <laughs> Pretty salty. They're about still mad. A pair of summoners that uh, they could not beat, except through uh, clever means. I also created a character that was so deadly that we decided we could only we couldn't use her. She uh, she killed people in their in their sleep. Like the only way she did manage to kill a character, but she killed him from thousands of miles away, with a dream scent like phantasmal killer. Like yeah, it was. Uh, we 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 finished that character and we we just kind of like this at is too like, dangerous. We can't we can't do this. What Even have we for done? this crazy mythic nonsense. What have we done? <laughs> When you have to make like 
Saves in like the third high thirties and low forties to Ow. not die immediately. Her DC for Phantasmal Killer was something in the fifties, <clears throat> if I recall right. correctly. It was it was bad. It was, bad. It was a bad, bad scene. Anyway. I think we've gone over the length and breadth of everything here. I think so. I think you're right. Yes, uh this I think this has sort of become a bit of a saga. A bit of it. And I'd say that it was a long standing one, but We've been sitting down the whole time. <laughs> That's a stretch. No, no, I'm, I'm giving it to her. I mean, it's not so much of a stretch, I'm kind of cramped in this yeah. chair. <laughs> so hey, folks out there, uh, it's my lifeboat of sanity out there. If, if you like what we do... Uh, please consider supporting us on our new Patreon. Uh, if you support us with only $3 per month, you get to vote on our Patreon-only poll, which is worth twice as many votes as the other polls. If you support us with $5 per month, you get to hear the episodes a week early on Patreon. Uh, anything you contribute is appreciated. You can find a link to our Patreon on our blog and in the post for this show. If you'd like to keep up with the show, you can follow us on our social media. Feel free to leave a comment or a question or tell us how your Dragon Age games are going, because we always love hearing about it. We do. Uh, feel free to comment on our show on SoundCloud, uh, and if you can, leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play. It really helps us out. Uh, thank you all so much for listening to the One of the Latest podcast, and thank you both for coming on again. It's always great to have you both on. Mm-hmm. Always if we're going to do a post-show, we it's should always... probably make it fairly brief. Fair yeah. enough. I have to find out what happened in this game. I, mean, <laughs> I need to know as well. Uh, I need yes. to know. I'll try, I'll try to keep, uh, keep it relatively quick, <laughs> to the best all of right. my ability. All right. Although, for now, let's sign off, and then we will pick up our uh, yes. show. Uh, this is Ren, wishing lots of sixes on that dragon die. This is Jessica, wishing you good heels and happy feels. Ladies first. <laughs> oh. <laughs> this is Leona, may the creators guide you on your way. This is Andy, keeping the dread wolf off your trail. Thanks so much, everybody. We'll catch you next time. Cheers. Bye. Hey everybody, welcome to the post-show. Uh, we haven't done this in a while, so for the folks who, uh, who are in the dark about this, we're, our show is over. You can we're, go home, it's okay. You can go home if you want to, uh, we're going to shoot the breeze to? right now. <laughs> exactly. You don't we want have to. such a juicy thing to ask about. We do. W- what happened, Andy? <laughs> okay, so I'm going to give a little context here for the, okay. uh, the listeners who are probably not privy to any of my campaign details. Uh, I ran a relatively short campaign uh, that I was calling um, uh, Les Enfants Sanguines, um, The Children of Blood, where our players were... uh, I had four players, including Drunkle Grog and my wife, as well as some some of the students at Wittenberg, that uh, were playing Inquisition agents tracking a... Tracking a book bound in uh, bound in darkspawn skin. Oh, um, ew. yeah. Uh, called uh, called Le Destinies Down or the the Destinies of the Soul, and this book is based on an actual book from an actual dude who actually existed. Actually, <laughs> that book exists. It's currently in I believe it's in Harvard or Oxford's library, uh, and I in fact took the name of the. Uh, 
the person who bound it, Ludovic Boulond, uh, as our main villain. Uh, so, so Oh, so cool! So this has a little bit of historical context. So, nice. the two primary arcs of the campaign were uh, finding out, uh, tracking down this book, and coupled with that, finding, uh, finding Ludovic, who had stolen it effectively during the uh, during the uprising at the White Spire. Ooh. Uh, that's where he was imprisoned uh, all that time, and as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, that was my wife's character's brother. So nice, happy little tie there. Um, but also figuring out what what exactly was going on in terms of an elven ruin that the the group had investigated relatively early on. Um, it turned out to be a temple of the uh, temple of the forgotten ones. Uh, in which basically the um, the basic concept was that the the high priests of the Forgotten Ones uh, in this one, in this case it was uh, Gilderon, were taking the collective will of all their priests, much like kind of the Pool of Sorrows in Inquisition, and putting that into living blood. Uh, basically using blood magic to create these canopic jars with which they could tattoo that blood onto another elf and basically take over that elf. So, using that blood, they could, they could, you know, carve their Valisleen and all, anyone who had that, that literal blood writing, you know, not just the figurative blood writing, but the literal blood writing, would be subject to that high priest's will. Yeesh. Yeah. Alright. So they found that, and it got loose, and they had some words with, uh, the party had some words with the, the elves who were assisting them in excavating this, and when it came out that one of the one of those elves was infected with it my wife responded with walking bomb oh. <laughs> okay oh yes I have some experience with this spell yeah. well <laughs> that was all well and good except for the fact that it, instead of killing the, the blood symbiote so to speak it just spread it to all the rest of them in an incomplete no so, no. so each of the other elves that that this party has already pissed off oh, no. got infected by part of this. So oh, no. oh, they were God. they would occasionally they they worked as a as a unit as a hive mind where they would talk oh, out of one another's mouths. So you know the the elven you know the female elf rogue would be screaming, but in the voice of the male elf warrior that is halfway across the battlefield. Oh yeah, that's not oh. horrifying at all. Ooh. So. Nightmares. This is oh, nightmare man. fuel. Yes, it is. Jeez. So, all, mind you, that's the B plot. That's not the main plot. Oh my god. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, main, the main plot uh, is trying to figure out what is actually contained within the book, and as they're, as they're finding out, um, as the PCs are doing research and trying to follow the trail of Boulogne, they are learning more and more about what exactly is in the book. And as it turns out, it's a, it's a, it's a crackpot treatise about ley line magic. Uh, 
about, you know, using the ambient power of places to augment spellcasting. Okay. Okay. And more specifically, as they're finding out, Bulan's whole plot was a was kind of a twofold thing. The the magic contained therein is blood blight magic. Oh, jeez. Oh, let's in, take two horrible things and put them together. together make something yeah, even extra like horrible. They make something um, really horrible. the best of both worlds. As they're tracking him, they're finding groups of darkspawn that have been exsanguinated <laughs> as he's taking blighted blood and using that to augment his spellcasting ability. Jeez. And not only augment his spellcasting ability, but also to create areas where magic is dampened. Where he's... he's Effectively, removing it, uh, re- removing that section of the world another degree from the fade. Jeez. His end goal being twofold. One, we're going to seal the breach by eliminating it. All the world steps away from magic. Two, oh, we're going to end the Mage Templar War because there are no more mages because magic is gone. Jeez. Oh dear. Yeah. Oh no. Wowzers, Bowser. His whole reasoning behind this, of course, is the fact that, you know, while he, before his magical abilities manifested, his parents basically gave him off to the Templars to be imprisoned at the White Spire so that they could keep my wife's mage character at home and, you know, raise her to be the, the scion of their family. So he has this deep-seated gotcha. resentment of both mages and Templars, but especially mages, because, you know, even as he is one, he's, you know, seeing magic as a perversion, this is this is something that's wrong. So he's going to cut it all off at the source. Jeez. Oh, wow. So in the midst of all this, they managed to track him all the way to Kirk. Because nothing bad ever nothing happens bad in Kirkwall. Nothing bad ever happens in Kirkwall. Ever. Um, ever. And, they're, uh, and Kirkwall is currently under siege by... Um, I just forgot the name of the nation. Or the city-state. It's Sebastian's uh, place. Starkhaven. Sebastian's. Starkhaven. Starkhaven. Yes. Uh, who has recruited a an armada... Uh, part of the Felicia Armada. Um, to blockade Kirkwall while he besieges it from land. So they, the party ended up sneaking their way into Kirkwall, which is an active war zone at this point. You know, uh, Knight, uh, Knight Commander Meredith's statues are is still, you know, in her statue form in the gallows. Um, they, we had a nice little visit with their, them and some, <laughs> some red, temp, uh, some red lyrium temptation, right there. Yeah. The, but they ended up. Uh, trying to find... Okay, well, we need to find... He's going to need a ton of Darkspawn for this. He's going to need, you know, a, a site of great power. So they end up tracking Bulond through the Deep Roads passage used in Dragon Age 2 that puts out... that pops out through the uh, through the little Dwarven Tig section over on Sundermount. Gotcha. Okay. So basically, Bulond is leading an army of Darkspawn up the side of Sundermount so he can kill them. So he has enough Darkspawn blood to seal off the to seal off the fade permanently. Okay. 
Okay. Great. That's great. Yep. Um, nice. They were uh, while they were in Kirkwall. They did. They, they we had an encounter with Aveline. Um, actually, I love uh, Aveline so uh, much. My wife, so my wife, sweet talked Aveline, which was uh, which was something pretty impressive, nice. considering mage in the middle of city that is had its had its fill of mages. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they ended up. Uh, they had, uh, Aveline pointed them in the direction of Fenris, who served as their guide up uh, through the deep roads and in, and up Sundermount. They had an opportunity to hey. recruit Meryl as well, but they 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 were pressed for time and elected not to. So, campaign proceeds uh, pers- uh, proceeds through the uh, through the deep roads through the primordial tide up Sundermount. Um, we had an absolutely ridiculous short fight with an ogre. Like they took out an ogre in two rounds. It was absurd. Nice. nice. I love when that. It happens. was. I was all excited. I was like, I'm gonna pick one of y'all up and throw you at the other one, and this is gonna be great. And I nope. nope. Not a chance. Did not happen. <laughs> that said, when they when they uh, got up to the top of Sundermount, we had our um, lovely final final battle, where Bouland was enacting this this ritual to basically eliminate all magic, uh, or or at least you know prevent any any further spell casting, and he had with him a retinue of. As they as they found out uh, over the course of the game, at first they thought they were seekers of truth. Um, at first they thought they were Templars. Then they thought they were seekers of truth. But as they found out towards the end that they were in fact part of the Order of Fiery Promise, uh, the group that oh, the group no. that oh, thinks no. that Good times. yeah that we're going to restart the world and you know you know this yeah. world needs to die in fire and. Oh, so, good times. And of course, Bouland recruited a bunch of them because he's like, yeah, sure, apocalypse, let's do this thing. Oh, sod. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, so he has a bunch of those guys there. Um, giant climactic fight. Spells are being uh, slung back and forth. Um, we had a lovely moment where he and my wife's mage, his sister go back to back in initiative. And I'm like, and I'm thinking, okay, you've been using this spell on me all campaign long. Walking bomb. So I cast walking bomb. She just barely makes her save. Like by one. Comes to her turn. And part of these areas that he, uh, that he's around have uh, they basically have magic dampening. So if you're in this, so if you're in this area, you have suffer a minus one, minus two, or minus three to your spell casting to cast the spell, unless of course you're using blood magic, with because because that's right. not pulling because from the fade, a- that's pulling from right. you. Mm-hmm. You've got it right here. Well, and of course, me being sadistic GM, uh, of course the entire time I'm, I, I, I was actually using uh, your uh, dark temptation rules. Uh, oh jeez! <laughs> so it's like, oh, you know, you know, little extra damage, you know, just just a couple hit points. No, 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 and she resisted the entire game. She, so she rolls to cast, and she casts walking bomb right back at him. Mm-hmm. Nice. And he's too short. 
you see where I'm going with this, of course. Oh, oh, man. All you need is a little bit of blood, and she's resisted the entire time. She doesn't use blood magic. She's better than that. She gives in, slashes uh. the palm, gives her the extra plus two to get the spell off. He fails, of course. Uh, starts taking the ongoing damage, and our elf uh, marksman, you know, puts uh, puts two arrows right in his chest, in the center, as he's in the middle of this ritual, you know, has this giant darkspawn-bound book in front of him, and, you know, thunk, thunk, what, uh, right, into the, right into the center of mass, and he just kind of cocks his head and looks... Uh, looks over at uh, Adelaide, you know, the mage character and and just sister, and just falls over and explodes. Oh, oh man. man. So, so <laughs> with that, they I mean, they routed the rest of the uh, the rest of the enemies that were around, but that was kind of the climactic end to our to oh, our campaign. Wow. That is super climactic. Yeah. Dang. So, Ooh. But that's good. I, I was pretty pleased with it. It came out all right. <laughs> I tipped my cap. If I weren't yeah. sitting down, I'd need to sit down. <laughs> right. But just uh, I had a lot of stuff going on, and um, one of the thing, one of the kind of themes I wanted to impress through there was that um, the average person during the Mage Templar War, and how they're you know really stuck in the middle. Uh, so a lot of the NPCs mm-hmm. that they came across were, oh, here's oh, <laughs> here's a Templar that, you know, was basically realizing, hey, abandoning all the people is a bad idea. I'm gonna stay in town and do my duty and and protect protect Valshavan. So uh, <laughs> there was a minor subplot where uh, Drunkogrog Ben's uh, dwarf Nas was trying to hook the Templar up with the Elven marksman. Mm-hmm. So little, oh, little subtle romantic um, insinuation there. Cute. Uh, but simultaneously, they ended up coming across a, a mage who was very much, look, I don't want to go fight. I don't want to kill anyone. I just want to stay here in the chantry and, and read my books and study. <laughs> and, you know, uh, the kind of mm-hmm. uh, passive resistor, so to speak. So it was... Uh, it was neat how that how that interacted throughout the campaign. Very cool. Very very cool. That that poor mage got got super labeled as a racist though. <laughs> I, I felt <laughs> oh, a little no. bad. Well, uh, she ended up in conversation with uh, with the elven marksman character, um, and the elf marksman asked, "Oh, is there anywhere to stay in the city?" So the mage directed her to the alienage. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that didn't go well. <laughs> yeah, I'm betting that wasn't great. Nah. Casual racism. Ooh. Well, this is Thetis. Mm-hmm. This is the world of casual racism. racism. <laughs> casual racism, racism is a way of life. Yep. But overall, I think I think people were pretty satisfied. The uh, Kunari sellsword was mainly obsessed with picking up as many blades of varying make that he could and. Actually, from that elven tomb, he looted this an- this antique elven greatsword that he insisted nice. on fighting with the entire game. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
I was like, you know, you, you, you can't backstab with that. I know, I don't care. All right. <laughs> okay. Have fun. You do you. But it's big. It is, yeah. And it's still here. <laughs> I can stab their back through their front. He, uh, It'll be great. He was in his glory uh, when, when they first arrived in Kirkwall because they, they came in through the sewers underneath Darktown. So he's in amongst the whole criminal element, and, you know, there were some... Uh, some ruffians beating up and mugging this poor, poor old woman, taking her last, last coppers, and Aww. he, he finally gets to roll his intimidation. He's like twenty three. <laughs> okay, oh, <laughs> good woo! job with six stun points. Even better. Good job. Oh, we are su- wowzers! You have successfully intimidated mm-hmm. the entire Dark Town. Yeah, no one in Dark Town will bother you now. Nope, they part ways as yeah. you walk by. But. That, uh, that that kept him uh, nice and engaged as well. So. Good times. That's really cool. Any other questions that, mm-hmm. that Ben might have post uh, posted in the <laughs> in the Patreon? Anything I'm supposed to divulge? No, he just said that right. you had to tell us about the end of the game because he couldn't do it justice. Okay. Well, is what he told it me. Was, Hopefully. And it was, it was pretty incredible. It was. That's pretty I, wild. I, I agree. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that it has lived up to expectation. He was. It has. He That's was, epic. He was like just falling over himself with how amazing it was, <laughs> and he said, "You guys just have to ask him. You have to ask him. Just have him tell you. Just have him tell you." I'm like, "Okay, okay." Well, well, here it is for posterity. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. My pleasure, guys. Next time it no. will be Leona's tales of whatever happens in this weird game we're having. Yes, please. Sounds good to me. <laughs> more Dragon Age is more Dragon Age. It's mm. going to be weird. <laughs> We're looking forward to hearing it. Oh, I hope. I, mm. I just hope it lives up to it now because I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be great. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be ridiculous. And if it doesn't live up to it, I'm going to be like, oh. <laughs> well, that's but on you. Make it something Derek. awesome. <laughs> yes, I have faith in Derek. So he... I'm sure it will be quite re- quite memorable. Uh, oh, I'm sure. <laughs> something weird's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Good times. All right. Well, okay. it's is this is definitely a long episode. Yeah. Oh my! Mm-hmm. We're this over is a two long hours. Term episode. Yep. <laughs> yeah, we should probably cut here, everybody. Yep. If you've All listened right. this entire two hours, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. No kidding. You are. A That's true why. Fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Comment if you uh, listened to the whole two hours. I don't know where you're gonna comment, but we'll I mean, we'll, we'll look around and maybe we'll see the a comment that hey, I listened for the whole two hours and we'll be like. Dang. Well, the Patreons can comment. How much free time do you have? Patreons can comment. Uh, <laughs> That's true. When we post it on all the other social media, there's comments or yeah. uh, adding tweets. Yeah, you can uh, you can post that you listen to the whole thing, and I'll say hi, Dad. Thanks, thanks for checking us out. <laughs> no, thanks, Dad. Dad won't listen to the whole thing. <laughs> he won't. Fair enough. He 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 loves us. He's very proud of us, but he won't listen to the whole thing. Alrighty. Well, prove me wrong, well, Dad. Good night, folks. Good night, good night everybody. Good night, everybody.